Hey everybody, Terry Welbrock here. Just wanted to thank you for being here and being a part of this healing space. Uh, this is my soul work, as I've said often on this show and on my social media accounts. Um, so yeah, I just feel compelled to put this beautiful light of hope out into the world with these interviews and uh, just this inspiration that's happening in the world right now. I just, I don't know, I feel as if there's a darkness that's trying to overcome us. And you look on social media and you look on the news and it's just so overwhelming, but there's so much goodness and there's so much light and uh, we just need to focus on that. So that is my goal with this show. And again, I just, uh, I thank you for being here. Again, if you want to go to um, my academy.terrywellbrock.com, I have some courses on there, and I have a um, some coaching that I just started to utilize as well. So be sure to go visit that. Visit terrywellbrock.com, T-E-R-I-W-E-L-L-B-R-O-C-K, and you can sign up for my monthly Hope for Healing newsletter. And be sure to go to the YouTube channel or uh, the Facebook page or any of the audio outlets and subscribe. Um, the podcast just hit downloaded in 100 countries. Woohoo! So that's a big uh, that's a big milestone. We've, we're now in 100 countries. All right. Well, this was a, a great interview coming up. So stay tuned. Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I'm your host, Terry Welbrock, and so very excited to have with me today Melanie Gibson. She is an author of the book, Kicking and Screaming, A Memoir of Madness and Martial Arts. So welcome, Melanie. Thank you, Terry, for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here. Oh, for sure. And I'm just, we just before I hit record, I, I was excited to talk to you about all of the amazing work you're doing in the world, besides just this book, you have a blog as well, and you're you're just really helping people understand uh, the journey through struggles with mental health. And so, yeah, so talk to us a little bit about what it is you're doing. Well, I'm, as you mentioned earlier, I do have a book out about my mental health journey, and I wrote it because I think I have a unique story to tell in that I talk about going back into martial arts around my early 30s, and you don't hear a lot of women in their 30s and 40s going into martial arts, but more so it's a common story of somebody who is struggling with uh, mental health and addiction issues and hiding in plain sight. Um, one in five adults in the United States suffers from some kind of mental health condition, but it's still very taboo. We don't talk about it. We want people to keep it a secret. And we only hear about the extremes. We hear about the suicide attempts or the hospitalizations, and a lot of people are going through that, and that's very real. And there are also people who seem to be functioning normally in society when they're suffering in silence and not reaching out and asking out for help. So that's where I was for a very long time until I started seeking treatment from a, a therapist and a psychiatrist, and then later getting into martial arts. Yes. And oh my gosh, I absolutely agree. And I wonder why it, it's a taboo subject, because I know from my personal journey, when I finally in my late 30s, early 40s, started putting my truths out there and talking about my panic attacks and my my abuse history and all of that, how many people came to me privately through little through text, through private messages on Facebook and said, oh my gosh, me too. They didn't respond on the post. 
but it was through a private, again, like it was a taboo, like, I don't want to talk about it here in public, but yeah, me too. And so you think if so many are struggling with it, how have we come to this place of it being just such a taboo subject? And I'm so happy for people like you who are shining a light. Really, it is a light of hope um, that we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. And writing a book has forced me to be much more open about talking about mental health. And it's it's made me confront my own bias and stigma toward my own mental health, toward other mental health. Uh, I, I catch myself when I hear somebody talking about, oh, I was hospitalized or, oh, I have depression. Sometimes I get a little uncomfortable from that socialization we feel to, to think well, mental health, that's a little weird. And so I have to catch myself and say, wait a minute, you're judging that person in the way you don't want people to judge you. So I've had to undo a lot of, I think cultural thinking or, or uh, socialized thinking around mental health. And, and I think people are more compassionate than we give them credit for. And in fact, I, I recently had a conversation with my boss about how I've been struggling. Um, 2020 was rough for me. It's rough for everybody yeah. collectively. Personally, we've all seemed to have gone through some trauma. 2021 hasn't been much better. And I finally got to a point where I, I thought I have to say something to my boss or, or my performance is going to suffer. I'll get to the point where I think I've got to just quit. And amazingly, although I shouldn't have been surprised because she's very nice, she's very compassionate, um, just listened wasn't judgmental. We didn't try to solve the problem right then and there, but I could just be more open about saying I'm, I'm struggling. In fact, I, I'm back in therapy. I'm, I'm having a hard time. And so being able to do that was like letting pressure off of a valve a little bit is that we can talk about it now. And I've brought it up since and in, in future conversations. So that doesn't mean you need to start going out and running and telling everybody about your mental health ad- conditions, but it may be worth thinking about and planning a conversation with someone that you you can trust enough to open up and, and be open about what's going on with you, what you want and what, what you need to feel better and, and do better. Yes. And what a gift she gave you by just offering a listening ear. And like you said, not really trying to resolve it, uh, but just, just listening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So now do you have a specific target audience that uh, you would love for, to read your book? I'd like to reach out to the people who are like me, who I call myself in the book, a high functioning crazy is that you've gone to school, you have a job, maybe you have a family, you have hobbies and everything looks fine from the surface. And maybe you're like me as a somewhat recovering perfectionist and and overdoing it on looking fine to the rest of the world, but inside you're not fine. And I have had some early readers say that that resonated with them. And that's what I like about the feedback I've gotten is that there, it is very specific toward Taekwondo and martial arts. It goes into a lot of detail around it, but you don't need to be a martial artist to be entertained by it. Um, it's, it's a human interest story. It's about somebody who has struggled and somebody who has overcome a challenge. And whether you do martial arts or not, or whether you do a sport or not, we've all been there with our mental health journeys or with some other kind of obstacle that we've had to overcome. So yeah, first and foremost, the other people like me who have those hidden mental health conditions, and then anybody else who likes a story about overcoming obstacles and barriers and challenges. Yes, wonderful. Now you say hidden mental health challenges. Can you define what what that is? I think it's back to to what I was saying earlier is that you put up a facade that everything is fine to the world, so much to the point that you may be in denial 
yourself. And I found myself in that situation where I was in uh, denial about some mental health issues I had going on, some unhealthy coping mechanisms like uh, eating disorder type of things uh, uh, that I was using to cope with stress, which just perpetuates a cycle of unhappiness and anxiety and depression and stress. So we're in denial to the world. And sometimes we're in denial to ourselves because of that huge defense mechanism, making sure like everything's fine. I'm fine. Everything's okay. Don't ask me any questions. Right, right. Well, and what popped into my head was addictions too. That also is just one of those hidden things that, and again, a taboo subject that nobody wants to talk about, but it's such a coping mechanism. I know my mom is 85 and coming up on two years sober in July. So she quit drinking at 83. And I, I wanted to believe in her, but for a long time, I was like, oh, she's never going to be able to stop mm -hmm. uh, because it was just such a problem for her. Um, but yeah, we, it was, it was a taboo subject to talk about really. Um, and so it's another one of those things where so many people utilize or use it uh, as a coping skill, but we don't want to talk about it. So, yeah. So mental health and Taekwondo, why it's so important to you? It kind of surprised me of how important it was to me. So I had done Taekwondo when I was a child. I grew up in a rural West Texas town. And for some reason, I told my parents I wanted to do karate. I wasn't really a sporty kid. I swam. That was about it. But there was a Taekwondo school in town. It was run by a very nice young married couple. And like any small town, everybody was there. So you had this great sense of community. And I, I liked the discipline of it. I'm a pretty organized structured person. And I think I like things like that. And uh, I, I just loved it. It was fun to do. And uh, when I got back into it, I was at a pretty low emotional point. I was already getting treatment from a therapist and I was already seeing a psychiatrist for medications and that was helping. And, and um, I am not a, a healthcare professional. So if anyone is interested in that route, consult your healthcare professional. So I was doing that and it was helping to a point. It was getting me to a, a baseline level of being okay. I wasn't in danger of suicidal thoughts. I wasn't in danger of harming myself, but I wasn't, I wasn't doing great. I was uh, emotionally all over the place, kind of a wreck, um, would chase relationships because I needed some kind of external validation because I felt so bad about myself. So Taekwondo had kind of been in the back of my mind. I thought about it every once in a while over the years, but never really took it seriously. And at one point I thought, okay, now's as good a time as any, why not do it? And what I discovered when I decided, okay, I'll just see what's out there is that my instructors out in Snyder and from my hometown reported up to a grandmaster, so higher, higher level black belt in Fort Worth, Texas, which is where I live now. So, and I, I remember him from coming to our childhood tests. He used to come to our tournaments. So he was part of that Taekwondo lineage that I'd been a part of. And I had no idea he had a school in Fort Worth. I didn't pay attention to that when I was a kid. And when I saw that, I thought, okay, this is fate. I, I, my search ends here. I'm going to train with him. And I got back into it and it was pretty quick that I noticed the mental health benefits is that it got me out of my house. So just kind of solving the immediate problem of being stuck at home, stuck inside my head all the time. It resolved that, that immediate issue. It stopped the bleeding as we say in the corporate world. And over time, 
I grew and it, and the changes became more complex of growing confidence, growing self-esteem, taking more responsibility for the choices I was making. So there was some immediate relief. And then over time, I saw more of a change. Yeah. Now I've heard often about martial arts. It's the, that there's something about the discipline um, that has an impact on people. And is do you think that's a part of that as well? I think it can be. Uh, There is always an element of discipline to martial art. Uh, Some of it is very militant style. Everybody is yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. And and that's not true in every martial art, but there's always a level of respect and deference to people who have more expertise than you. And that's one part of it. But then also, I think there's the discipline of the mind and the body. And that doesn't necessarily come from an instructor yelling commands at you. Uh, Maybe as a little kid, it, it does, but if you're an adult and you're training in martial arts, there's something that clicks in your brain of self-discipline is, okay, if I'm going to get this intricate skill right, I've got to discipline my mind and my body. If I am going to keep myself safe while I am sparring somebody who's trying really hard to kick me in the face, I have to have some element of discipline to my mind and my body uh, to not lose my temper when or get frustrated when I'm fighting somebody who's better than me. You have to discipline the mind. So you kind of have to stay even keeled through the whole time to to not lose your cool, to stay focused and to keep yourself safe. Yes. Beautiful. So now you have a blog about it as well, right? Yes. And that's, that started before I wrote the the book. I started my blog called Little Black Belt in 2014. And I called it Little Black Belt as a cheeky homage to the little black dress because it's a great accessory. Sometimes I wish I'd called it Taekwondo, Diva, but it's a little too late for that now. I started writing it because I was having all of these insights about life lessons and change and growth as I was training in Taekwondo and I was watching myself change over time, as I mentioned earlier earlier. And the thoughts were coming at me so quickly. I just, I had to get them down onto either into a journal or onto some form of writing. I had to almost do a writing exorcism to get it out of my head. And so I very quietly started a blog. I didn't tell anybody about it for a couple of months. And that's how that got started. And it just became a habit to observe and reflect and record what was happening to me in Taekwondo and the things I was learning from it and learning about myself and learning about life. And eventually I started to realize that I've got a a real story here. And so I use kind of the the self-training I had of writing on the blog to write my memoir. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I've heard that so many times, one from people who are struggling with depression and anxiety and all of of the mental health, issues that we've talked about, that writing is so cathartic in, in just getting it out of our minds, our systems. And, um, but then to have other people resonate with it is mm-hmm. uh, in that you're able to connect with others and really shine a light of hope onto that healing path is just beautiful. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I know that's a part of it. And then also being a writer gets you in the habit of observing life And because I do it so often, I was talking about this with another blogger and podcaster and writer, is that you you're just in the habit of it. Something happens, you think, oh, that'd make a good blog post. But you start to become very reflective of lessons that are happening. Sometimes I have to think, just enjoy this moment. You don't have to write a blog post about it. But it does help me be more observant and more reflective being in that habit of writing. So it's it's just perpetuates this cycle. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I'm sure it was wonderful help. I write a blog, but it's mostly mostly about these interviews uh, that I've learned lessons uh, in the podcast um, conversations that I've had. Um, but every now and then I will do those life lessons type of deal and and take pictures of the things that uh, the experience that I'm having in the moment, like finding a heart in the clouds or whatever and talking about that moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now steering back to to mental health for just a second, are there any myths that you want to clarify? Well, that's a good question. Um, one that comes to mind is that everyone with a mental health condition is dangerous and should be feared and should be ostracized. And I mentioned my own bias before. I've even had that knee-jerk reaction when I hear about people who have, have suffered more than I have and they've, they've, they've just reacted to it differently. But I think that that perpetuates some of the taboo is that mental health people are dangerous. Um, unfortunately, one time I witnessed this in the workplace, not for me personally, but um, I was uh, facilitating a workshop. I used to kind of, do, I used to do corporate training years ago. And a man brought up that he at one point had been depressed and suicidal and, and he was doing better now. And I heard my coworker had spoken to the manager of this group and they said that, oh, all of his coworkers called her very concerned about him. And he was put on administrative leave, which is illegal according to the Americans with Disabilities Act. I was furious that they had done that to him. And I looked at my coworker and I said, what cowards? They're not afraid for him. They're afraid for themselves. They're, they probably think he's going to come in guns blazing and and shoot up the place or something like that. And I don't mean to make light of that, but right. um, that's, that's what I, I got from that group is that they were so uncomfortable with him talking about being suicidal at one point in his life that they just wanted him out. And they, they wanted him take, you know, you know, go, go, go get some counseling. They had no idea he might've already been in counseling or he might've gotten the counseling he needed, but that was their knee jerk reaction was, oh, he's scary. We've got to get him out of here. And I don't think he lost his job, but he was asked to take, you know, take a couple of days for himself. And that made me very sad. And it made me very angry that that was, and I felt somewhat responsible is that I was we were teaching this workshop, my coworker and I, and he felt safe enough to admit that. And then it backfired on him. Yeah. And how horrible for him. I'm sure. It, I mean, what an impact that has that then he would be like, I'm not talking about that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it must've been humiliating. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Yeah. But you do bring up such a valid point in that I know for myself personally, when I hear there's just certain words, you hear schizophrenia, you hear, and then the media or Hollywood, really, TV shows and movies painted in such a way that I think it really does help perpetuate that myth that um, anyone with a mental health condition is on the edge of mm-hmm. sanity, right? Yeah, and, and we just hear it in our everyday lexicon, like, oh, that person must be off their meds. Oh, that person needs to be on meds. Now, I've had my days where I've forgotten to take my meds. All it really does is give me a headache. So <laughs> I don't know what people are talking about of being, you know, they think that's uh, a magical thing is that you you forget your t- to take your medication one day and all of a sudden you're this whirling tornado of madness. And it's, it's, there's so much misunderstanding about mental health conditions themselves and then mental health treatment. Right, right. 
Well, thank you for clarifying that because it's so very true and accurate. Yeah. So do, is there anything else that you wanted to touch upon that we haven't had an opportunity to discuss yet? I want to acknowledge that a lot of people are struggling with mental health issues from this past year in 2021. 2020 was very rough collectively for everybody in the world for the pandemic, but then other reasons that we have going on. Um, there was George Floyd's murder. There were uh, the economy crashing. All kinds of things happened collectively that affected people in different ways. Some, some people suffered more than others. And everybody has been trying to get by. And it seems like in 2021, there was this expectation that we'd all be okay all of a sudden. Um, and recently there was a New York Times article about just languishing and we've gotten over the initial fear and shock of 2020, but we're still not okay. And for those of us with mental health conditions, it's been exacerbated and other people who have not had mental health struggles before are suddenly hit with depression and anxiety and if there's anything good that's come from this, which I don't know, that's hard to say, is that maybe there's more recognition for the need for regular mental health care. We all have bodies and we know the importance of physical health and taking care of our bodies, whether we have a type of physical condition or not. Why isn't that the same for mental health? And that's what I'm hoping the lessons of 2020 and early 2021 can teach us is that we're all susceptible to anxiety and depression and and other issues so let's all take care of our emotional mental wellness let's all give each other a little bit more grace and compassion when we see someone struggling the same compassion you would give to somebody who has had cancer or they've broken their leg or they have some kind of physical disability offer that same compassion to somebody who may be struggling with their mental health Yes. And again, just such a wonderful gift to give to others. I know for our family, um, our third child, um, 14 or oh my gosh, she just turned 15 this week. <laughs> I, I'm still getting used to saying that, but we have given her the option for quite a few years now, once a semester throughout school to take a mental health day if she needs it. So if she's if she'll if she'll come to us and say, oh my gosh, I have all these tests this week and I'm I'm so overwhelmed. I you know I have to study and blah, 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 blah. now she's a great kid, great grades. She's just she's just a wonderful child. And we'll say, do you do you think would you like to take a mental health day this week? And every now and then she'll take us up for it, but take us up on it. But Usually she'll say, no, no, I'm okay. But I think just giving her that option and allowing her the opportunity to respect her own mental health needs. And I, I, I just think it's such a gift that we give her um, and to, to honor herself and honor that. And I, I really think more of us need to, yes, allow that. Yeah, that's amazing. I hope the parents listening to this take a, a note out of your book and do that with their kids as well. We keep kids home from school when they're physically sick. But I, I can think back to times when I just felt overwhelmed, just didn't want to go to school, just needed a day, but didn't have the language for that back when I was growing up. And, and I'm, I'm so glad that you're doing that for your daughter now. And I hope, like I said, other parents listening will do the same. 
Thanks. Yes. And it is funny though, because when we call her in, we won't say we're giving her a mental health day because I just don't think like that's allowable in schools yet at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is, we, you know, it's not, we just say that she's not going to be in that day. We're not lying and saying she's sick, but Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's just, but again, that's funny because now that I think about it, it is that taboo again, like almost afraid to say, Hey, she's having a mental, she needs just a mental health day today. Um, that they'll be like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with her? Well, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I could see that. I don't have kids, but I could see that happening is that would raise some alarm bells where if you said, oh, she has a, a fever, it's not. And, and I've experienced the same thing in the workplace where I've, I, and I've actually gone through a big physical thing. I had ACL reconstruction surgery in 2020. So um, that's a very long recovery. And so I've physically been unable to do some things. I have no problem saying I can't do X, Y, Z because of my knee. I have been a lot more hesitant until that recent conversation with my boss saying I can't do X, Y, Z because of my anxiety. It's a totally different thing. And it's it's just been it's really opened my eyes to the difference of how we treat physical conditions versus how we treat mental conditions. And like you said, the alarm bells that it would raise. Um, not every, here's another myth. Not every person struggling with a mental health condition is an immediate danger of harming themselves or harming somebody else. And that's when I've had to be very careful when I've admitted that, yes, I have had suicidal thoughts in the past or at some point in my life, um, after seeing what happened to that man at work, I, I've, I have not said that to anybody at work, but I've always been very careful to clarify, I don't feel that way now. I have felt that way in the past. So if I say, yeah, because if I say at work, if I, I have bipolar disorder, who's going to think that I'm, I'm going to lose it right then and there? Somebody might think that. That's the taboo. That's the stigma, is that we're always a danger to everybody else. Right. Yeah. And I've had suicidal ideation as well uh, in the past, but I was in a lost, just chaotic mess of um, trauma. I I had so much trauma from my childhood and I had never processed it. And so it was just like, I like to think this just dark clouds swirling inside of me and I didn't know how to get out. So I was having panic attacks, which now I know it was trying to get out. And um, yeah, so, so I remember having those and actually drove myself to a hospital in Cincinnati when we lived there and uh, admitted myself for suicidal thoughts. Um, And, but yeah, I don't talk about it very much because again, it's just that, um, that taboo um, subject. Mm-hmm. Yeah. people get uncomfortable right right well thank you for bringing it up and and again shining a light on it so beautiful so now how do people get a hold of you get a hold of the book so a couple of different things with the book you can purchase it anywhere you prefer to buy books so the name again is kicking and screaming a memoir of madness and martial arts it's available on the big booksellers like Amazon and Barnes and Noble in print or e-form, whichever you prefer. I think it's available on Target. Um, I also want to put support independent booksellers. So IndieBound is one. Bookshop is another great vendor. Um, I think it's it, uh, over 100 different vendors. So really just Google it and however you prefer to buy books is the easiest way to do it. You can find more information about me on my blog, littleblackbelt.com. I am also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as Melanie Gibson author. Awesome. I popped it up just because then you can see the book cover. Can you see it on your end? I can. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, There you are. That's awesome. (laughs) 
Thank you. Thanks Wonderful. for showing that. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I, I love the idea of, uh, of people connecting with you and the blog and uh, finding this book. So yeah, so thanks for that. All right, let me hit my little stop share here. Awesome. All right, well, thank you so much again for joining me today on the show and uh, shining your light and yeah, helping others along their healing journey. Yes, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for letting me share my story and, and make other people feel they're not alone. We're all in this together. Yes, absolutely. And hoping for a wonderful rest of 2021 that we take that turn. Yes. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. And remember, until next time, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Terry Welbrock again. Just wanted to thank you for listening to the episode today and remind you to visit my website as well as the Academy terrywellbrock.com for the courses but if you go to my website terrywellbrock.com you can sign up for my monthly hope for healing newsletter which is also jam-packed with information and strategies and blog pieces and guest blog pieces and links to shows um, and just a great space for uh, again healing and hope strategies Thanks for, again, being here and being a part of this healing space. I very much appreciate you. All right. Bye-bye.